Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of the Wave Break Podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast. And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Klaviyo is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much, because they're on the same page with me and Wavebreak is like, we're not just about making more revenue, that's great, but what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers, and the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you gotta get on Klaviyo. Visit klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K-L-A-V. IYO.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Wavebreak Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO at Wavebreak. We're a leading email and CRM agency helping brands maximize retention and profitability through best in class execution of email and SMS marketing. If your brand has a good enough email and SMS program, you've probably set up all the flows, you're probably doing some email, some SMS. The key to maximizing revenue from these channels is to continue to optimize and test. You have to test everything. You have to optimize your automation. Often a refresh of your automation is gonna increase revenue by 30% minimum from flows. That is key, that's where we start. From there, you want to optimize your creative, you want to test, you want to know, does a long email convert better than a short? What is the actual best send time? What is the customer journey and when are the key touch points to maximize the chances of somebody coming back? That way, you know, you're not going to create any retention that's not going to exist in the first place, but if you can send the right message at the right time and move people along that customer journey, you're going to convert way more people than if you have the wrong strategy, which could even drive a negative impact on your brand. Lose email subscribers, a negative brand image, you know, and that goes with creative too. If your creative hasn't been updated in a while, it needs a refresh, that alone can increase revenue by anywhere from 50 to 100%. So if you're looking for the right team to do it, it's Wavebreak and you can learn more about partnering with us by going to wavebreak.co. The other thing I didn't talk about is segmentation. You gotta get that dialed in. You gotta send more personalized messages to maximize revenue. Uh, If you wanna learn more about how you can do that, well, we can help. So learn more by speaking with us at wavebreak.co. So welcome back everybody to the Wavebreak podcast. Today joining me is Jeremy Horowitz. He's been on the show quite a few times before. It's great to have him back for his annual 
perspective on e-commerce, direct consumer, and retail. He's going to be sharing how brands can win in 2023 and beyond. We start off by covering the current state of D2C in both private and public markets. We talk about the current state of the consumer, talk about key metrics and levers to maximize profitability. We talk about inventory management. We talk about merchandising and a lot more ways that you can maximize growth and profitability than your typical marketing strategy and approach. Without further ado, let's jump right into it. Jeremy, thanks so much for coming on the show again. You've become a friend of the pod. Yes, I well, I hope I was a friend of the pod after my first appearance, but uh, yes, yes, yes. Halfway, halfway to that, like I don't think I get a gold jacket or I get one of those like SNL like memorabilia, but I'm shooting for that fifth. So we just got to keep doing this for a couple more years. But yeah, it's great to be back. Really <laughs> yeah. excited to dive into like what is going on in ecom and in retail today. For years, you've come on the podcast. There were so many different phases of D2C. Like I think it even started like pre-pandemic when we were chatting, when it's like nobody even cared about retention or lifecycle marketing. It's like you had to convince people that like, you know, sending emails is not spam and it's, you know, a very good thing for your business to, you know, obviously 2020, 2021. And it's like, I can't even believe it's 2023 now, but we're entering, uh, we've entered an interesting time in e-commerce, which, you know, then became D2C and like, who even knows? Brands are just brands now. Um, it's come full circle. <laughs> We're all just consumer brands, but um, yeah, it's good to have you on the show. Uh, for people who don't know, your partner marketing lead these days at Gorgeous, so you have an interesting data set of like up and coming brands that that you have access to. Curious, you know, starting at a high level, you've been posting a lot of spicy takes lately on LinkedIn and Twitter and various platforms. So, and your newsletter. So, curious your thoughts on the current market and like what you're seeing out there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and just quick context for anybody who isn't familiar. Uh, Gorgeous, we're working with about 11,000 merchants, everybody from people who are just starting out to the Steve Maddens of the world. So a really good spectrum of that. And then I've also just been studying a lot of like Shopify, PayPal, Meta, and a little bit of Snapchat, although they're not as helpful, but really those core three like public companies to see what is going on in the space. Because I feel like everybody else is consuming probably too much LinkedIn and Twitter as I am is like, Everyone is crushing it. Everyone is having a good time. And also like every week I'm hearing a story about a new bankruptcy. So like... Yeah, and layoff. Yeah, right. Like everybody's doing layoffs and bankruptcies. Everybody's always crushing it. So um, <laughs> I think there's a ton of nuance in all yeah. of that that like most people would probably be helpful to like understand and like what is the market doing versus what is my business doing? Actually, I don't know any of your biz actual businesses, but like at least from like what I've been digging into and studying. So I mean, I think the TLDR is... We're in a recession, whether we want to, whatever we want to call it, I consider this to be a recession. The most confusing thing to me and where it deviates from what I traditionally think of a recession is we've never had more open job openings and it greatly outpaces the unemployment rate. So I feel like that's at least like that to me, that's like the point of what people care about in a recession is like, when am I losing my job? The like GDP growth and all those other metrics like don't really affect real people. So I think that's the tough part. But to me, like financially, the US economy is in a recession. Um, and there are some what we call opportunistic environment pieces at play with just everything that's been going on between inflation, the Fed rates, and then also just like how people are spending money in the current consumer credit, what has to eventually be a bubble, because uh, people have more credit than they can pay back. And so I think like that has a lot of really interesting confluences on what affect D2C brands. The other really interesting component there that I'm sure we'll dive into later, but just want to toss out now is you really need to filter through what is the data about the financial market 
And what is the data about the real market? And I feel like people just like read the stock market and read those things and too quickly jump at like, oh, this is a reflection of my reality. Whereas the financial market, and I've been investing for like close to 15 years in public equities, it's gambling. We're all just guessing at what's going to happen in the future based on the information we have available today. It's not like, oh, this happened today. I'm going to actually change like my, well, I'm changing my opinion about what I think the future holds. And so I think like there's a lot of weird, interesting confluences that make it really hard to pattern recognition and match against what's happened before. Yeah. I mean, that's super, super interesting. I love how you are also, and, and I read your reports on this, like looking into, you know, the meta earnings, the snap earnings, like you're talking about to see like trends, trends there. Um, and you're talking about these, like, you know, two different sides of the market. You're saying we are in a recession. I mean, look, I feel like everybody feels it like any business owner. It's like, it's not, it's not like it was like everyone was sprinting. And now I feel like everyone's still running, but everyone's looking around and being like, all right, where am I at in the race? Like it's, it's a marathon again. Um, but yeah, curious, like what, what, yeah, like break that down for us a little bit further too. Yeah. And so from the brands that I've been talking about, and they're usually at the like north of 10 million to sub 5 million range. They're like one of two camps. I think there's the camp that's like, we are crushing it. We are going to crush it now. Do we want to continue sprinting? Because I think that's the other really tough piece is like the past two years were not the normal. They don't indicate what's going to be normal and they're not going to indicate what the future looks like. Like the amount of money that went through consumers' pockets and the restriction on what they could spend it on made everybody sprint. And like, it feels really weird to say this now and it's kind of like sounds like two-faced, but like if you didn't sprint over the past two years, that was a mistake. Because right. it's just like, it's that old Warren Buffett quote, right? Like if it's raining gold, hold the bucket, not a thimble. And so like, then is when was the time to collect cash? Because at least for the foreseeable future, we're not going to see that much cash be pumped through, especially like direct to consumer, ship to your home, sales channel. Like people are going to go back and spend money at restaurants, travel, you name it. Like they're going to go and push back. The hard part now is how do you adjust, especially when so much of your business model is based on year-over-year forecasting and modeling, right? And I think that was like the toughest thing that I've seen operating and then like advising and investing in, in businesses in the space is like, okay, we've got to hit the classic triple, triple, double, double if you're a VC invested, which means you triple your one into two, triple two into three, double three into four, and then double again. And the craziest thing, if you're a brand, is some of some brands that I've been working with saw a 6x, 10x growth. And it's like, okay, but what happens next? <laughs> and so right. like there's there's just a normal, there's the normal demand curve and there's a the normal company growth that like, I mean, this isn't anything particularly unique. I feel like anybody who like invests, it always reverts to the mean. Right. And so the tough thing that everybody's been doing with them, I feel like the past 12 to 18 months is. The growth curve went from like a, a pretty standard tick up to just straight vertical in 2020, 2020 into 2021, and then yeah. came straight vertical back down. And so it just it's very painful. And obviously, like when you sell physical products, that is the scariest mo- moment to be in because if you miss those cash flow turns, that's it. And so like I feel like that's the really tough part to adjust to is that you need to adjust for the new reality of consumers just aren't going to have have as much money. And the other like nasty cycle we can get into on top of all of that is there's going to be a consumer credit bubble because 64% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And there's over $950 uh, $950 billion of consumer credit 
credit cards out there against uh, during the pandemic savings rates spiked at like 30, 33% and today are at 3%. And so like when you think about it, like short of the government pumping more money back in, it's going to be a really difficult nav to navigate all of that. And so to kind of go back to that original point, there's like the brands that are, okay, we need to downshift, get conservative. Like what is default alive? What is like, how can we get to a strong cash flow position and just ride this out? And then there's those brands that are like, we're still seeing good returns. We're still seeing ads crush it. And that's actually to me, the really tough brands to give advice to because right. I mean, it's not my business. So it's easy for me to say, yeah, yeah turn the jets on Scale and like, it up. go for gold. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, it's easy for me because like, it's not my, like it's not my baby. But I think there's like a real decision that a lot of those, especially like growth brands, not that like we're just starting out or we just hit our growth curve in the like early millions, but those like we're at 15, 25, 50, 100. And it's like, you know, we have like real debt on the books. We have real inventory turn. We really need to think about all of these things. And it's do you go for that just cash flow positive, maybe leave a little bit of sales and market dominance on the table, but get to like a healthy margin, get to the components where like, you are leaning more on retention. And then there's the brands that are like, this is a recession. We've seen all previous recessions where people are going to pull their budgets back. Like that is just a reality, whether they want to or not, you're just going to see advertisers pull out of the market. And I think we already are. Uh, and that's really why I started monitoring those ad, those like ad earnings. Cause basically meta is still like us. <laughs> we are all the largest customers of right. meta outside of like, the, like uh, an aggregate. And so like really monitoring that of like, do we dial this back or do we dial it up? Because the the sheer economics of the ad platforms are getting way better. The problem is, is do you have the cash pile to play that game? If you are going to, I'm going to call it Icarus because that makes it sound negative. But like, if you're going to fly close to the sun, like you need to be, you need to have enough runway to get through that period where if something goes bad and if you miss a quarter or a couple of months, you, you're like, your wings don't burn off. Right. In a time where it's harder to get access to capital and it's more expensive to do so. So it's like, you know, what I've been ta talking to a lot of people about too, it's like, you got to be great at everything these days too, because there's not that like margin for error that there was with everything, you know, fluffed up on both, you know, the consumer side and on, you know, the financial side. What do you think 2023 is going to be like? Do you think it's going to be more like 2019 in terms of like, you know, comparing to a previous year where it's like, I, I remember 2019 and, and like 2018 and 2017 and like everyone was growing, but it wasn't like, you know, going from 100K a month to 500K a month overnight kind of growth that we saw in like 2020 or, you know, a million to 5 million, right? It didn't matter the scale. Like that was what everyone saw at e-commerce. Like, what do you, I, I know it's impossible to know the future. Um, but like, what do you like, how does how does it balance out when it's like, you know, the ad platforms are getting more affordable and the economics are getting better. But then at the same time, people are spending less or, you know, they're being, you know, they're just spending differently. So how do yeah, what does that even end up like? And you, you probably don't know the exact answer to that I think nobody does. But I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I mean, my best guess is based on what I've seen so far and kind of bioless factors where I think we're heading is I'm going to put in three buckets and I'll start with the most negative and work the most positive. I think you're going to have, I mean, and I've already been seeing this, so like companies are just going to get washed out. Like there are more than enough lister category here, 17 competitors in the D2C space. It's just like cash isn't free anymore. So you're just going to see those consolidate. Most markets, if they're big enough, consolidate to three main players. So like, I don't know. I don't want to beat up on any particular category, but like, 
I've seen more pet supplement brands in the past two or three years than I have in my entire life. Like at a certain any point, supplement. how many pet supplements? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, I mean, that's a whole other ballgame. But yeah. right, like the or like, even mattresses so many pets that people own. Well, we've already yeah. That's I mean that's the I know, example, right? right? And you're seeing Serta just went bankrupt. Casper went private. Um, I don't know exactly how Purple's doing, but I they had layoffs. I don't think they're doing like fantastically. Like I think that's going to be the canary in the coal mine, where we're just going to see that roll through more and more, more and more industries in the space of like it. It just doesn't work out, and so I think a, a pretty good indicator to me that that's already happening was and kind of like the segue into my second point is in Q3 Shopify's earnings, they lost 54,000 non-plus accounts. So like basically everybody on a normal plan and, and the usual delimiter that I use is plus is a million GMV a year up. Everybody else is below a million GMV. So like kind of not to like be derogatory, but kind of like mom and pop versus those like scale ups where like we have real cash flows. And so, right, if you think about like 54,000 turned out, if you can't afford 30 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month for Shopify, my guess is the majority of those closed shop. Maybe a couple of them, went, maybe they migrated to Woo and like are getting it for free. But at that scale, I don't think a lot of them are becoming like WooCommerce experts and WordPress experts. And they gained like 15, I think like somewhere around 1,000 to 1,500 plus stores. And so I think that's the second piece of there's going to be this real middle ground of, I would say like everybody who's not in the bottom 20% because they're probably going out of like just straight out of business. And then everybody up to about the top 20%. So like kind of like middle 60, like if we had a normal bill distribution, that like middle piece of it is, is going to be pretty dicey to be candid. Like they, there will be a large portion that will survive, but there will be a large portion that don't. And the Thrasios of the world don't have any money left PE because interest rates have jumped so high so quickly. Like it destroys a lot of the traditional PE models of, of model, like how you can finance these businesses. Yeah. And, um, it and then venture capital. Yeah. And venture capital is completely retreated from this space. Like we still do some investments in early stage brands, but it's just so much harder to make the math work today versus even like two or three years ago. Um, so I think a lot of them will go back to like more traditional small businesses. How do we get to cash flow positive? How do we get to conservative growth? How are we targeting 20% growth, 25% growth a year? Not hundreds, two hundreds, like not triple digit. And then I think your top 20, top 1% are just going to absolutely dominate. And you're going to see right. generation and genre defining brands emerge where the that top decile will just become the like power players who eat up so much of the ad space, eat up so much of that customer acquisition. Just because they have that, whether pile of money, amazing unit economics, can get access to debt or venture money like still, and they're just going to completely dominate. And so I think it's really those three camps where it's going to consolidate a ton of revenue and power at the top. And then everybody in the middle who's left is going to like be finding their place in that new market share. Yeah. And what do you think is the difference between group two and group three? Is it just like, like the difference between surviving and coming out limping versus crawling versus being able to run out of it? Or like, what do you think separates like group two from group three? I think there's multiple components. One, I think first one is just the fundamentals, right? Like, do you actually have an amazing product that people want and the probably more important caveat to that is, does it fit into the new world order? 
And this is the ones where I'm just going to come out and say, I have no idea what the new world order is going to look like. And anybody who does is either making it up or please send them to my way. And I'm happy to give them all my money. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think like, that's a really important, really important piece. Like, I think every category will survive, but the same way that like COVID shifted so many models of traditional businesses online, I think we're going to see kind of a pivot back would be my best guess is like, unless, unless advertising costs online can significantly drop, like catastrophically drop the catastrophically for the ad platforms drop. I don't think they'll like throw stuff up, run the ads against the like landing page is going to work as well anymore. Um, and I'm even hearing like a lot of people in the space, like if you have $30 AOV and you don't have like that really strong repeat model, tra transfer the business or like roll it into something else. And I feel like that was something that like the people who understand, and I guess that's point two, you really, really, really need to actually understand your unit economics. And I know nobody wants to talk about this. I know it's unsexy and it's really boring, but even the most fundamental of like, how much do we sell it for? How much does it cost us to produce? How much are we spending in marketing? And then what is everything else for the business cost? And like that really simple breakdown, people really need to dial in because the days of we throw 10 grand in a Facebook magic money machine and 30 grand somehow spits back out is long gone. And I don't mean to be like the negative Nelly here, but isn't coming back. And so like, what are our actual margins? How much in cash, like the dollars, not just percentages, do we get at every stage? And what can we actually afford to push through these channels? Like now that matter, now if you want to be aggressive, that matters even more because before everybody was just throwing piles of money out. Nobody was really properly tracking it. I mean, people obviously were, but not enough to really make it. And we decided this like race up where that's why Meta and Google both passed trillion dollar market caps, right? Because everybody was just piling money in. Now things are falling back down. I don't think they're going to fall all the way back down that we don't have to care again. Like kind of those like 20, where, I don't know, when did the ads launch? Like 2016, 2017 days. Yeah. Um, but and like now we're in that middle part where like you just have to have it dialed in. And like the misses that you were talking about before are like, oh, holy crap, our CAC was $20 versus $15. And that just took out $5 from this can we still afford to have that team member, that office, that other product line? I think the other piece is a lot of consumers are are feeling it, right? Like inflation was tough. They leveled up, levered on a lot of credit. They're having a tough time. I think the third piece is like, you either need to be super luxury and target the rich. And like, I mean, wealthy rich, or do you need to be an affordable option that someone can cycle down into? And so, right, like, in the usual recession in like 08, people went from owning homes to renting. They went from renting homes to renting apartments and they can kind of lever down. I think we're going to see the same thing in this consumer space where like, okay, I bought a Rolex. Well, Rolex is probably a bad example because you're in that super luxury where like that top half of 1% of econ people economically doesn't really affect you. But I, don't know, I guess I don't know watches well enough to really use this example. I can give a good but example. Like, uh, like I bought a Okay. Or like buying a, um, you know, you, you went from buying a $50 moisturizer or shampoo to then like, you know, switching to like the Monday shampoo that's like $8.99 at Target, but like kind of like similar marketing to like the D2C-esque or something like that. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people were going from buying Teslas to buying like probably like a Volkswagen or, or Volvo and the people who are buying those are going to be buying Hondas and Toyotas. And I think like we're going to see that right. shift down into more of the consumer space. And so I do actually think that that's like a really great vein of like, especially if you're going after, if you're going after a big incumbent that has big pricing, 
Like this is that just we're the number two, we're cheaper, but we care more play. And a lot of brands I think could actually crush that, right? Assuming that those big brands don't have to go through major discounting routes and like really start to like get rid of their inventory to avoid bankruptcies. I think there's a real opportunity for a lot of people to take that route. Like there's obviously no great consumer electronics play, but I think a lot of people would shift out of Apple if you had a amazing smartphone that did 90% of it, but was, I don't know, 60% of the cost. And I think like there's going to be that real consumer thread across most other categories, especially at the like sub $500 AOV range. That is actually a really great opportunity. I think that's like a, a piece where a lot of people can focus on it, like being the more affordable option. I agree with that. And I think it's like the advice has always been, don't do that. Be a premium, you know, direct to consumer brand. But I think now is the time like affordability is top of mind, just like in 2020, 2021, if you weren't afraid to put your foot on the gas, you would see the results. Like if you're not afraid to talk about affordability in this market, you're going to see the results too. Like it's kind of the elephant in the room with consumers. Uh, the one thing to add on that is just like, if you're going to be premium in luxury, you actually have to be premium in luxury. Like, I feel like we've kind of gotten away for the past like five years of like, oh, I'm I'm like luxury, but I'm not that expensive. Like it's, you got to pick a camp. This like I feel like right. you got to pick a camp of like, I am luxury and this is $2,000 for a bag or a t-shirt or whatever. And like, you're going to spend money because you're going to spend money on something that's expensive or you have to be affordable. I feel like that middle ground of like, it's luxury, but not really. And maybe there, there probably are some caveats to that. And there probably are some good examples where like the value is there at that affordable luxury that people will fall out of buying Rolexes to buying $500 watches. But for the majority, that's going to be a much, much tougher sell versus like I have in crazy high margins and like you're going to pay for it here versus like this is the affordable brand to go buy. Yeah, no, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no. So I think like being the affordable player is going to be a big is going to be a, a big option, especially if you're going after incumbents. I think the the other more interesting challenge, if you like, you want to go for growth, is who 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 is just falling in your category, and how can you just go acquire as, much, as many of those customers as possible? It's kind of like much more of that like old school like sharp elbows type of business, but going back to the mattress example, uh, Serta went bankrupt. Uh, Purple is in trouble. A couple other companies are having a tough time like laying people off. Like, will everybody be buying a mattress every two years, three years? And will they all buy it through a box? No, but all of those companies are going to cut their, like, right, like marketing and R&D are the first two things that get cut. <laughs> like if anything's going negatively, like those are the first two things. So like, if you can affordably scale into that period, you actually have a really good chance to take over where those businesses were. And also just like for context for everybody, Serta was uh tough to needle. Like they oh yeah merged, acquired them some yeah, MA something. acquired them for like 750 million, I think, in 2019, was it? Or 2018. Yeah, it was pretty early. It was like on. One of the first like, ones. Yeah, it was like native went out and then uh like movement and pure vita and then like and tough needle was in that 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 like window also of like the early 2018. PC 2018 okay um and so right like a lot of the players and i don't i'm not recommending anybody go start a dc mattress company but right yeah, probably don't example, right like, now. a lot of mattress <laughs> players yeah but, but like a lot of mattress players are, are hurting and like maybe that is the private equity play for casper of like we take a public we get the sorry we take a private we get everything back in a row and then we like go back to market dominance because everybody was basically running the same playbook 
And so, right, like a lot of these models had good underpinnings. The problem was, was they were just jacked up on too much money and speed. And so like, there probably is a lot of lessons to go through those like, okay, this didn't work out. And while everybody is like, okay, this, these industries are sexy and uncool, private equity will probably do this, but they'll go back and like really go and get after those markets because the market share is still there, right? Like if you sum up the cost of a mattress and then multiply it by everybody who needs one, it's still a massive, massive market. Um, and so I think like the people who get really creative and like go through those other ones, like Party City just went bankrupt, Bed Bath & Beyond is going bankrupt. And so like, there are a lot of really interesting opportunities in those the retailers that are going bankrupt plus the DTC brands are going bankrupt. And like, there's probably a really interesting opportunity to go in now while things are cheaper, employees aren't going to require as high salaries, like all those components. Now is probably a good time to go build those models because you're going to have that brilliant idea that was originally there just without all the crazy macro market unit economic components to it. Totally. And to your point earlier too, when you're like, you either, you know, you either grew as much as you could during that time or you didn't and you missed out. Like there's, there's brands who are in the middle too, who are going to end up in that top 1% who like, maybe they're not the number one or number three brand now, but they did grow aggressively in those years, but like not as aggressively. And instead of them having to do layoffs or do anything, they're just kind of like chilling compared to everybody else having to like completely restructure their entire business. And those are the people where it's like, maybe you felt like you were behind compared to like some of the headlines and the posts and whatever you see. It's like, I, I mean, even I felt that way. I'm like, Oh my goodness, all these people are like 29 and worth like $5 billion. And then it's like, comes out, you know, now it turns out they've laid off 95% of the staff. They only had like 500 K in revenue or whatever. Like it's like, Oh, it turns yeah, out or like, it was a, a lot of it was <laughs> a fake too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just complete fraud running away with people's money. But yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with your points as well. What do you think like in terms of tactically, like, 2023 like it's still here we still have to order inventory for the future nobody knows what's going to happen you're kind of talking about like these changes to the space like who's going to win and who's going to not i think you made some great points in terms of like how the market's probably going to shake out like i'm a brand owner like what what are some things i could actually do yeah so my best piece of advice is the thing i'm the least bit of an expert in but <laughs> i feel like a lot of brands really and shopify commerce support captured this pretty well. A lot of brands leveraged up and held a lot of inventory to combat the supply chain issues, which like, if there's one thing we can solve to make all of this go away and get better, like, can we please focus on that? Um, but I, I think it's, re and it's really, again, it's like really tough because I'm not running any businesses, but like for the survival play, really sticking to just-in-time inventory and really keeping as light on the inventory as possible I feel like the one thing that we just don't talk about enough in e in ecom retail in general is cash flow for cash flow getting stuck up in inventory is the kiss of death for a business like this. Like right, like when you look at the business model, when you look at how cash flows through the business, you can fire people, you can cut variable costs, a website costs whatever the scale of the technology does. Like everything else really can be pretty variable if you have the stomach for it. Inventory is isn't. And so the other, like, and just like a quick tangent here, what I always think is funny is like when a business goes bankrupt, it's like, hey, here's all this inventory that you have to sell. And like, what I thought about it, like Bed Bath & Beyond is a great example of this. And it's a little bit more retail, but like if Bed Bath & Beyond can't sell the 100,000 units that they have on hand, how is some random buyer who's going to be, be better than the expert? 
<laughs> and so like, yeah. like, I think that's the other really tough part is like, like I would really, what I've heard a lot of like the brands are doing is if they expanded their SKU count and they're not seeing a lot of like good expansion and penetration into their SKU count, or they haven't really thoughtfully thought about like, this is our hero product to bring people in. These SKUs don't sell as well, but they're LTV extenders. Like really thinking through like what, like Marie Kondo in their catalog, basically. So I think it's really like those two things are going to be the most important of like really, really make sure that your inventory is getting you through whatever your target six week, eight week, 10 week cadence is. But like, I mean, well, bigger brands are doing it on a year cycle, but like really, really refining that and dialing that in. And I think the second piece is really then going through SKUs. Like what do we need to just like clear out now to generate cash for because it's just not moving and we don't need to hold... I mean, some of the brands I've worked with had thousands of weeks of inventory on hand. Just like from thousands how of weeks. Was, yeah. Oh just like how little, like how little it was selling and how unpopular of a product it was. And so I think we're just going to see, and I've even been seeing like Lululemon is doing a, sorry, we made too much of the sale. I'm seeing other DGC brands do the same thing. Like just one big sale, rip the bandaid off, get as much cash back as possible. Like, and then just really dump it back into what works. We had to do this when I was at Lumi and it was, a, it was a little painful, but it was a great exercise of like, we did it down to the color skew of the product of like, I don't even remember the exact examples, but it was white, silver, and black. Black was our best seller. White was a not, not a good seller and silver was bad. We just like, how do we clear out silver as quickly as possible and dump as many dollars back into black? Even if the silver sales aren't, I mean, obviously we still wanted them to be profitable, but even if they aren't super profitable, like how do we just hit the email list a couple of times, clear out all of the stuff and run a silver sale and New Year's or whatever fun, crazy concept you can come up with. That's probably one thing that can actually be helpful from like a marketing and e-com side of like quickly run it all through, optimize for cash flow instead of for um, instead of for profits on that like one instance, obviously like protect as much margin as possible. Um, and then just be really dialed in with your acquisition goals this year. I think like everybody has finally appreciated, or I hope everybody has finally appreciated, like retention matters. Retention is helpful. And it's a good balance to have on the other side. I don't think a brand going going from 90% acquisition, 10% retention is going to flip those in a year. And that's actually probably bad for your business. Like retention is not the solution for your acquisition problems. Retention is just like a release valve to help it out. But like really getting honest about like how much do we want to grow this year? How much is that actually worth it to us? And then what is that balance of to get to $100? Does it need to be 90-10? Does it need to be 80-20, 50-50? And like really getting dialed in on that point so that you're not as reliant in expensive channels. I mean, I don't need to like share the math. I'm sure everybody knows how much cheaper email, SMS, direct mail, mobile apps are compared to paid media. And so like really getting honest about like how many dollars do we need to spend for every purchase and focusing on MER a lot more. I know it's like a very old, well, it's an old school that's become sexy metric, but like stop being so concerned about CPA and like what is the total MER and the total spend and then dive into the channels and all the different components. Yeah, totally. Even seeing like from the retention side, you know, if you just like so many brands are still untapped there that if you just like pull a couple levers on the nurture and retention side, you can, you know, you're not going to increase maybe revenue overnight, but like your, your profit margin or your pro overall profit and like EBITDA can go up by like 5% at the end of the day with like 
just and and that's that's a lot of money in this time to get you through you know through what's coming. The other thing that you said that I really like is um inventory. Like I feel like people aren't really talking about that. It's more like you know well we need to figure out TikTok. That's really what we need to do. And it's like no no no. Like uh, another thing I I think is overrated is I feel like selling out has been overrated. Which like you talk about luxury brands being successful, it's like they're so good at like what so many D 2 C brands aren't. Which is like D 2 C brands never want to be out of stock. They always want to like you know, keep growing, growing, growing. And then like, but being sold out builds the brand and it definitely is better for you, you know, not having, what did you say? A thousand weeks of inventory. It's not yeah. even a thousand days. That's like mind blowing. But I think being sold out is overrated too. And I love how you're talking about inventory. I think merchandising is a huge, I don't even think people have used that word in D2C over the last five years. I'd like to see that be used because I think that's very untapped for brands as well in order to like figure out like how do we actually build something profitable for the long term and like optimize everything, not just our Facebook ads or landing pages and you know our emails, like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I would I challenge anybody to go back to the past five years of most you to see job boards and count how many paid media specialists or growth managers there were to e-com managers and merchandising. And just for like the quick if anybody isn't familiar with merchandising. You're basically responsible for like, what are the products? What channels do they go into? What are we pricing them at? How much inventory do we hold? You're kind of like a cross between what a lot of e-com managers and ops managers do now. And it's usually, a lot, especially like larger retail businesses will almost always have them. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's going to be a reemergence of that because again, kind of going back to that same point of like really dialing in, you can't just throw a product up and run ads at a landing page anymore. Like, you really need to start to understand like what are those what are those buying mechanics? What does the demand curve look like? Um, like when can people actually afford to buy our stuff? When do they want to buy our stuff? And all those components so that you can actually figure out like where where are things going? Because I mean, obviously it's all an estimate, but yeah, it's gonna be really interesting to see like how people manage all of this moving forward. Yeah, totally. And despite everything going on, it's still a really exciting time. And that's what I want to wrap up with because like, you know, yes, things are different, but, um, you know, at least the model is proven. Like we talk about Tuft and Needle being acquired for, you know, almost a billion dollars in 2018. When they were starting a mattress company online, everyone's like, you're insane. Like that's never going to work. Nobody's going to order a mattress. You're not even going to be able to ship it. Yet they did it and sold it for a billion. It's like, oh man, they had great timing, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's like actually it was bad timing back then to like everybody else who was like watching. Um, but I want to end on a positive note. So I'm curious, you know, what are you excited about despite, you know, these, I guess, additional headwinds that are, you know, now penetrating e-commerce? Yeah. So I'm really excited for what is that new world order and what is that new playbook? And I think that's honestly going to define the next decade. Like, I feel like cheap CACs, fast moving products, great optimizations was the like decade that I came up in. To me, the next decade of e-com is really going to be, or due to see whatever we kind of come out of this with, because everybody's going to go back to the Omni channel, is like, what are those new factors, right? If CPMs are higher, that means we need to shuffle some other things around. How do we focus on our, our margins and all those other components? But there's going to be something new in there. And that's what always really excites me is like somebody's going to build something new. Everybody's going to go, whoa, this was brilliant. And then we're all going to shift the playbook more towards that. And that's one big thing I'm excited for. I think the second big thing I'm excited for is like, what just what are the components of that make a successful business through a downturn and like through headwinds? And I feel like it's very privileged to say this because I'm sure most people in business can't say that they've gone 10, 15 years without seeing the real like headwinds. But 
it's going to be interesting to see like, okay, we, we put some pressure on these brands. What are, what makes the good ones? I feel like kind of where we started this, like everybody's having a great time. Everybody's crushing it. Everybody's like all these great components, which like makes it really hard to see like, what is actual truth and what is that actual middle ground? And so it's going to be really exciting to see like, okay, no, like these brands made it through, they had these components, they did these things. Um, and then the second piece is honestly just like the amount of building that's going on in space. And it started two years ago and it's just been incredible to see like how many more people care about e-com today. The, like, I hope the one positive note here is we are still so ridiculously early in this. Like e-com is not 20% of total commerce in the economy. Like we talk about, like, we're so in our bubble and like, we're so focused on this. Like if I can leave everybody with one thing retail like in-person old school physical retail for most consumer goods still happens in person and especially a lot of the big ticket items like obviously you have some new players like tesla and rivian starting to move like high ticket items into d2c but like we're still so early here that there are new business models we haven't figured out yet there are new market opportunities that we just haven't looked into yet there are entire categories where people are spending billions to trillions of dollars every year that we just haven't touched. <laughs> we just like haven't either figured it out yeah. or been motivated enough to go into it or the economics didn't make sense. And like these opportunities are always those like level centers. Like it's kind of like that like relative peak on the way up to the mountain where you're not actually all the way up yet, but it looks like you are of like, there's even so many new stuff and so much new experimentation that comes out of this that yeah. like the, the drop shipping store on Instagram ads is like, not the way to do it anymore. And that's what I'm the most excited about because that's when things completely shake up and that's where all the opportunities are. Oh, same here. I'm, I'm excited for the get rich quick people to just, you know, they're already, they've been fading away for a couple of years now. Um, I'm excited for that to like die out and to go back to like, you know, just like classic brand building. Like brands aren't yeah. going anywhere. They've always they're been around. They're going to build chat GPT apps now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're all in AI already. It's great. They went to Web3 and now they're already in AI and who knows where the heck they're going to go next. But um, no, I know. And it's like, if you want to get like break your frame, it's like even just like look at Amazon numbers of like certain products. Like I was talking to a friend the other day. He's like, yeah, like you know, this, you know, typical household product. It's like, we do 70 million a year with one, like one product that's in your house. It's like, holy cow, that's insane. But then you look at like grocery and it's like, you know, you talk to, I had Hungry Root on the podcast. They do like hundreds of millions in revenue per year. I'm like, wow, you guys are crushing it. They're like, yeah, we're like 0.00005% of the market. Because like, you know, like the average Walmart does like a billion a year in revenue in like one location or like something insane like that. And it just makes you like, you know, you think like, wow, we're tapped out. But then like you're saying, like e-commerce sales are still below 20%. They're still going up and to the right, by the way. It's not like they're trending back down to 2019. Like they've gone down since 2020, obviously. But like if you look at the data, they're still better than they were in 2017 and 2018, which were, you know, the glory days of of e-commerce. So yeah, I think it I think it'll be really exciting. You gotta love what you do too. It's not just like, oh, I wanted to be in e-commerce to just make money. It's like now if you really love what you do, I think those people are gonna survive too, because they're gonna find a way. Um, and I'm excited to see what brands emerge and and the next generation of brands to come after. Um, but it's been great. It's been great catching up, Jeremy, as usual. We'll have to have you. We'll have to have you on again after this all plays out and we'll see where the predictions end up. But uh, thanks for coming on. And for people who, you know, want to get your, your newsletters ramped up again, you're putting out content really consistently on what you're seeing inside of all these reports that you're reading. Uh, where can they go to learn more about you and and, and find you? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me on. I always really look forward to this. It's going to be fun. 2024, hopefully it's all just more up into the right. 
Um, yeah, if you want to want to hear more about my crazy ideas and rants, uh, Jeremy Horowitz, H-O-R-O-W-I-T-Z on LinkedIn is probably the best place. And then I have everything linked from there across all the different things I'm working on. Amazing. Yeah, we'll link that up. Go go follow Jeremy. He puts out posts. I mean, your posts are really interesting. They're not just like, you know, this brand is doing X. Like I love when you like break down the earnings or you talk about like, you know, consumer credit and what's going on there and, you know, buy now, pay later and all of those. I mean, I feel like we could talk for like three more hours on like everything, but then also I don't want to be like, you know, too Joe Rogan. Go, too, <laughs> yeah, and go too down that path of like, you know, all right, the world exploded. We're all on Mars now. Um, you know, we'll keep kicking that can down the road. <laughs> it's been great having you on. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wavebreak Podcast. If you're not subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, go hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're not on our email list, go sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. You'll join other e-commerce leaders at brands like Skims, Cartier, and Walmart, and thousands more learning exactly what's working in e-commerce right now. You won't want to miss it. Sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. It's free. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you.